0: Well, good morning church. Good morning. Merry Christmas everyone. It's great to see everyone. Hey, before we jump in uh, this morning, can we just thank our worship team? They do a phenomenal job. Um, our, our sound guys, uh, the lighting, uh, definitely the lighting right now, the lighting, uh, they do a great job. They, they are here early, before you probably even get out of bed, most of you. They're here wanting to make sure that their hearts are right and that they can um, lead us into worship. Uh, it is not a performance. It is wanting to lead us into worship. And so, grateful, grateful that you're here. Um, meet me, if you will, this morning in Acts chapter 4 as we continue our series um, the Making of a Leader, Overcome. We're looking at the Apostle Peter and uh, how he went from being overconfident to being an overcomer. Um, as you're turning there, I want to appeal to your country side this morning. Okay. In 1990, country singer Aaron Tippin came out with a song that became one of the top ten songs on the Billboard Country Countdown. It was a song called, You Got to Stand for Something. It was an incredible song, still is today. As a matter of fact, the song became so popular that in 1990, Bob Hope, a comedian, uh, asked Aaron Tippin if he would go with him on the uh, USO tour to sing that song to soldiers that were stationed in the Gulf. You got to stand for something. It serves as a great segue into our passage this morning in Acts 4 when we talk about living a stand-up life in a bow-down world. And so I'm going to give you 60 seconds, 60 seconds to listen to this song, okay? And listen to the message that it's singing. Mm -hmm. He didn't like trouble, but if it came along Everyone that knew him knew each side that he'd be on He never was a hero for this county shining light But you could always find him standing up for what he thought was right He'd say you've got to stand for something, or you fall." That's a great song, isn't it? Man, that just gets me in the mood. You got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Would you just say that with me this morning? You got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. It's the man of God, it's the woman of God who not only has biblical convictions, but lives out those biblical convictions that will make an impact on their family, in their neighborhood, in their workplace, in their community, in their church, not just for this generation, but for the generation to come. Now, we are told in Scripture that Scripture indicates that we need to give a reason for the hope that is within us, that when someone comes to us and asks, something's different about you, what is it that we don't say, well, I had some pizza last night, but that there's something about us internally that has changed our lives from the inside out, and that we are able to stand true to and for the gospel. Scripture also indicates that there will be times when your faith will be tested, that people will oppose the gospel, Uh, they will become uh, hostile towards the gospel, there will be a, a persecution towards those who are Christ followers. And before we launch into Acts 4 this morning, I just want to give you a couple verses to hang on this morning to help us to realize that we have an opportunity to stand for something. It is the greatest news we could ever share in the world. Love the verse in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, that says this. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with what? Gentleness and respect. I love John sixteen thirty three. It says, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have much tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And then Jesus in John 15 verses 18 and 21 reminds us of what it means to be a follower of Christ. That it's not just the blessings of knowing him, but there's times where we have to take a stand and we have to be bold and courageous for what we know to be true from God's word. And so it says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than its master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Well, in Acts chapter 4, we see the apostle Peter and the apostle John being exposed to the very first time of a collision. A collision between the church and the world. A collision between a biblical mindset and a secular or worldly mindset. Here's what is happening in this verse and in these verses. Look at verses 1 to 12 of Acts 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there, And so was Cephas and John and Alexander and the other men of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders and people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, that you and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Peter and John are talking to a large crowd. The church has given birth there's great excitement about the church. There's great excitement about the, the people following the way, following Christ. There are some wonderful things happening with the body of believers, and they are talking to this large crowd, and the crowd is interested. They're curious in what's going on. But you know this, and I know this, that wherever God is at work, there will always be opposition. Opposition. Wherever God's hand is on someone or something, a great act of God, there will always be someone that will try to oppose it, to knock it down, to ridicule it, to uh, be sarcastic, or be a scoffer or a mocker in some way. And this is what happens. That the enemy is alive, but he is not well. And these officials come, and they come in the face of persecution. And John and Peter, Now when I say persecution, I'm not talking about someone laughing at you because you have the sticker of a fish on the back of your bumper of your car. It's a little bit more serious than that. Peter and John are standing there. These officials arrive and they are going to turn on Peter and John. Peter and John are bearing witness of an incredible act that has just happened. A miraculous act in Acts chapter 3. So every day... When people walked up to the temple for their time of prayer, for their time of worship, there was a man who was crippled that had been there and had been crippled from birth. And Peter and John one day walk up and the man is asking for money. He does this every single day. And in Acts chapter 3, I love what Peter says. He looks at the crippled man and he says this. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Everyone's talking about the miracle. Everyone's, it's a buzz about this miracle. And Peter and John are teaching what has happened and they're teaching also about the resurrection of the dead. And these priests and the temple guard, uh, uh, others are coming in and they are disturbed by what is going on. They cannot uh, refute what has happened. They cannot deny what has happened. But they don't want to believe that it's happened. And so we see here a number of people, a priest, the captain of the temple guard, and we see these individuals called Sadducees. Say that with me. Sadducees, okay? The Sadducees were a religious group, but they were a very liberal-minded group. Um, They did not believe in a spirit world. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in miracles and they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And you're like, well, what kind of religious group is that? But they did not believe in any of that. And so when they hear that this man has miraculously been healed, and Peter and John are talking about it, they don't know what to make of this situation. And Peter is proclaiming the resurrection of the dead, of which Christ was the first. So they're disturbed. Christianity will always oppose religious people. There will always be people that will be opposed to the gospel. They're in your workplace where you work out. You go to the mall. They're in your neighborhood. There are people that as you talk with them and you share about Christ, they immediately will do this. And it is very difficult to get close to someone when they're at an arm's length. Christianity, as great and as wonderful and as life-changing as it is, has its enemies. And there are those that will oppose what is going on. You will always, how many of you, before you came to know Christ, were offended by the gospel? Maybe a neighbor, a friend, somebody would share Christ with you and you would think, I can't handle this guy one more minute. I am so tired of hearing this but God begin to work in your heart and what you opposed now you embrace in your life. There will always be those who will oppose the gospel. I have spent a number of times in Mexico doing missions work. I have been in Guatemala four times and when I was in Mexico years ago uh, we were having a vacation Bible school and a medical clinic and people were seeing the Jesus film and as people were standing in line, you've got hundreds of people needing medical attention. And we're sharing with them about Christ and as they're coming through, through an interpreter, we're telling them about the gospel. And all of a sudden I hear the Catholic church bells ringing and I think, how kind, how wonderful. How wonderful. that that they are ringing the bells, inviting people, telling people, come, come to this medical mission, come to hear the gospel. And someone said, no, they are not doing that at all. They are ringing those bells to tell their people, stay away. Stay away from the event. Stay away from the medical mission. Stay away from the evangelistic service. And they are ringing their bells to tell their people, do not come. People will oppose the gospel. Here are some leaders that have opposed the gospel. And so they seize Peter and John and they throw them in the jail overnight. Well, what are they being arrested for? They're teaching about the resurrection of the dead. They're teaching about how Christ rose from the dead. It was a collision between the new faith, the new covenant in Christ, and the old religion and traditions of the law. Now don't miss this. Even though it's sad that Peter and John are, where are Peter and John? Tell me they are in, okay, about two of you knew. Peter and John in this passage are where? They are in, they're in jail. And as sad as that is, something happens to the church. That doesn't take the church by surprise. The church doesn't automatically run. If anything, the opposite occurs. The church begins to respond The church begins to respond to the gospel and it tells us that there were about 5,000 men who responded to the gospel. Now, they didn't count the women, and they didn't count the children during that time. So scholars said there would probably be close to 15,000 people that day that gathered, that had heard about the the miraculous healing of this crippled man, that they had gathered, and they had responded to the gospel. Can you imagine a day like that? Can you imagine a day where 15,000 people came to know Jesus? It would cause our faith to just explode. And so people are excited. Persecution will do two things. Number one, it helps us to evaluate where our faith really is. It helps us to determine whether my faith is just something I kind of keep to myself. I don't tell too many people about it. But when persecution comes, I will bail or Will I show by my faith that I'm different? It's coming. It's here. Don't be surprised. We live in a culture that will tell us, you can't do this. You can't do that. You must bow down here. You must do this. But we have the Holy Spirit within us that leads us into all truth, helping us to make the right decision for our God. You've got to stand for something or you'll what? Fall for anything. And so we see here that uh, the, the next day that the religious authorities show up and they kind of flex their spiritual muscles and try to intimidate Peter and John and bring them out and they begin to ask a question. Now this question that they ask, that these leaders ask, will work against them. But it will work to the advantage of Peter and John. And the question that they ask is this. By what power or what name did you do this? And Peter gives not only verbal evidence, but also visible evidence in their defense. The verbal evidence is that through this miracle, through this teaching, it is done not in the name of Peter, not in the name of John, but it's done in the name of what? Tell me, who? Jesus of Nazareth. The power, the authority has come from Jesus. So there is a verbal evidence that Peter is giving here. There's also a visible evidence. And the visible evidence is the man that was a cripple. And he's standing right beside them. And he's saying, here's the man that's healed. He was a cripple. But now he's dancing and he's jumping and he's walking around. It was visible evidence that Jesus of Nazareth had healed this man. And the authorities, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle the situation. Peter then quotes from Psalm 118 verse 22 when it says, The stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In other words, you have rejected this Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I want you to go back to verse 8 for a second. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. If there's one doctrine that has gotten so botched up, is so misinterpreted, it is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And you will see as you walk through the book of Acts and other places and other epistles, you will see References of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So let me just give you just a little doctrine here this morning. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not some kind of mystical thing going on. The Holy Spirit is a person who has intellect and will and emotion. But what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the moment we receive Christ into our life, the Holy Spirit comes in and indwells us. uh, Some authors said the Holy Spirit comes in and pitches his tent in our heart and resides there and stays there forever. But what does the Holy Spirit do? Because we can do church without the Holy Spirit. It is possible to do church without the Holy Spirit. To do it right here in the flesh. To, to give no credit to God. To come in on a Sunday morning, take our seat, do our things, sing our songs, walk out, and no impact has been made. Because we've not allowed the Spirit of God to move us and grow us to be more like Christ. Four things I want you to realize is the role of the Holy Spirit. These are four things that we all need. Not just the church, but the world. The first thing is that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. You ever been convicted by sin? Just raise your hand. Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. You should be convicted by sin. Okay? He convicts us of sin and unrighteousness. We see that in John 14 and John 15. He convicts us. Man, I, I said something I shouldn't have. I went someplace. I, I, sh- I looked at something. And all of a sudden, I know I've received Christ into my life. And the Spirit of God convicts us. If you ever had a coach? In high school, remember those times when you were running laps or, or you had a coach and that coach had a whistle? Man, if you weren't doing the right thing, that coach would blow that whistle and you'd think, oh, no. And he'd pull you in and it'd help you to understand that you need to do something better. The Holy Spirit is that coach that whistles when we have blown it, when we have sinned. But The Holy Spirit also, not just convicts us of sin, but comforts those in need. We see that again in John 14 and 15. How many of you have needed comfort in your time of trial, in your time of need, in your time of just, I I feel like quitting? We can't pray for Steve and Leanne enough. And as we pray, we're asking that the Spirit of God would comfort them during their time. That's what we're asking. If you've ever walked through a funeral line, and that's a very awkward time, and the person standing there who's just lost a loved one or a spouse. And you walk up and, and, and you don't ever know what to say. You don't want to say, how you doing? Okay? Because they're not doing well. They've just lost a loved one. So we often find ourselves saying this. If you, na- if you need anything, just what? Call. They're not going to call you. So what we need to do is wrap our arms around them. And just for a moment say, Lord, would you comfort Would you comfort this family? Would you comfort this man? Comfort this woman? Lord, you can do this far beyond anything I can do. The Holy Spirit comforts us in our distress, in our hardship, in our sorrow. The Holy Spirit gives counsel. John 14, John 15 again, gives counsel. Corey's a counselor, but he stinks at being a counselor compared to the Holy Spirit, okay? All right? He gives direction. He gives guidance. And the high schoolers and middle schoolers are like, oh, okay. But it's the Holy Spirit that gives guidance and direction in our life. And all of a sudden, my life has changed. I need that direction. You, we can do life without the Holy Spirit. But it will never be fulfilling. And you'll never glorify God in doing it. But when the Spirit of God is counseling us, giving us wisdom, guiding us and directing us, Man, what I say and how I live is changed. And then the Holy Spirit gives courage to represent Christ. And we see that in this passage. That Peter and John boldly, courageously stand up in front of all these authorities and they proclaim the gospel even though people are refuting it and they're disturbed by it and they oppose it. Let's not forget that if you and I are to be God's man or God's woman, doing God's business for God's glory, there will always be opposition. It's going to happen. But let's not forget also, if, there, if we're to be God's man, God's woman, doing God's business for God's glory, He has given us the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us and make decisions and to stand for Him in a bow down world. The power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5 20 tells us we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are his representatives as though God were making his appeal through us. Look at verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. That's an incredible statement. For there is no other name under heaven Given to men by which we must be saved. They have been talking all along about Jesus. This is referring to Jesus. Salvation is needed by all. It is offered by all. It is supplied by one. By one. So a warning is issued. Look at verses 13 to 18. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. And then they called him, called them in again, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. A couple things that we see here. They saw the courage of Peter and John. They called them unschooled. Now, the word unschooled does not mean that they're idiots, They are ordinary people. But when God gets a hold of ordinary people, extraordinary things happen. And we see the Lord guide us and direct us in a way that we stand back and go, only God can do that. That's who we are. That's Mission View. That's Maranatha Bible Church. That's Bridge Bible Church. We are ordinary people. Would you just say for a second, I'm an ordinary person. I'm an ordinary person. You are. Maybe you don't have a PhD. Maybe you don't have a bachelor's. It doesn't matter. You're an ordinary person. But when God gets a hold of you, watch out. I don't know how many of you are interested in living a nominal, mediocre, boring Christian life. But if you are, you're missing life, you're missing it. God looked at Peter and John and said, here are just ordinary people that I'm going to use for my glory and I'm going to take them out of their nominal life and I'm going to do something extraordinary in their life. I'm going to give them the courage to be able to do that. The officials took note that Peter and John had been with Jesus. That's the secret. That's the secret. You can tell when a person has been around Jesus. And let me just put it to you this way. There are people who know the word of God And then there are those who know the God of the Word. And you can tell when someone's different, can't you? You can tell when all of a sudden you see someone and they're living for the Lord and you go, you remind me a lot of um, Jesus. There's something different about you. They had been with Jesus, they were speechless. The man healed stood before them, and they couldn't refute the miracle they, they couldn't deny it. And then look at verses 17 and 18. I love this. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in His name. So then they called them in again, and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And pretty much Peter and John says, "Ah uh, that's not going to happen. That, that, that is not going to happen. There is no way. It's like asking a firefighter to no longer put out fires. It's like asking a surgeon to no longer help save people on the surgery table. The authorities are losing control, and yet God is taking control of the people's hearts. Look at verses 19 to 22 where we see Peter and John's reply and release. But Peter and John replied, Judge, judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over forty years old. Peter and John says, You know what? We're going to continue to keep sharing. This is who we are. This is our life. We're not going to be ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they will not stop telling people about him. Be ready for opposition. Be ready for it. It can come through intimidation, through threats, through verbal abuse, through physical abuse. The church, though, expanded in growth instead of shrinking. So two and a half years ago, I was in Hong Kong. We were ministering to 70 underground church pastors that came from mainland China into Hong Kong. It is safer for them to come into Hong Kong. It is safer for us to have them in Hong Kong instead of us going into mainland China. You are constantly being watched in mainland China. It also exposes them and the work that they're doing. If we go in and they find out you're an underground church pastor, they will be arrested, they will be beaten, they will be thrown in prison. So 70 of these underground church leaders have come in. And I decide one day to talk about persevering and not quitting and not giving up. Here are the people that are on the front lines every day. And I'm like, you guys can do it. You know, hey, don't worry. You're going to be persecuted. It's okay. And I've never experienced the physical persecution that many of them have gone through. So I asked the question how many of you out of the 70 here have ever experienced persecution in terms of being thrown into jail or being beaten physically? And 60 out of 70 hands went up. And yet there is a smile on their face that says, though I am being battered and bruised and thrown in the jail and beaten, the church is coming alive. And the church in China is exploding. And though there is great persecution going on, people are saying, my faith is real. I will not bail. I will stand true and tall in a bowed-down bow world. They said, we rejoice in what the Lord is doing. So I want to just give you three things to to just uh, think about and and live out in preparing us right now to live uh, stand-up lives in a bow-down world. Number one, standing firm takes courage. It, it, It does. We can sit here all we want on a Sunday morning and go, man, I will be courageous for the Lord. But it only takes one time for someone to get into your face. Or all of a sudden somebody says, you know what, if you speak the name of Jesus, we're throwing you in the jail. We have to decide now what we're going to do about something that may happen later on. Standing firm takes courage. And I'm not talking about the guy who says, man, I ain't afraid of nothing. Man, I'll, I'll, I'll bust the gates of hell. I'm not afraid of anything. No, that's stupidity. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is standing firm in spite of fear. And people will say, well, what caused Peter and John to say what they did that day? It was the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure Peter and John had fears, but they held on to the conviction, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. We're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. Neither height, nor depth, nor length, nor width, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I love this verse. "If God is for me, pretty much everyone. That's my answer. If God is for me, who can be against me? Yeah, people who oppose to God, pretty much everyone. And so we see, we have an opportunity to be courageous. Remember Joshua in Joshua chapter one? He's taken over from Moses. Moses has died. He's taking people into the promised land. And, and, and the Lord says, "Do not be fearful." Do not be intimidated, but be courageous, for I will be with you wherever you go. God is the one that gives you that courage. And I have been in places in my life overseas uh, that I have been in a setting where I cannot explain even to this day the courage that he's given me and the opposition that goes on. And I found myself thinking, this is my lot in life. If I am to die for Christ, then I will die. But I'm not going to bail. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to just deny the Lord. And that happens right here too. In North Canton, there are people that oppose the gospel. Standing firm takes courage. Standing firm takes faith. The faith and the trust that God is on our side. The faith that God will deliver you. Out of what is going on, uh, you will not stand alone. I truly believe that if you and I are, are a follower of Christ, it's a win-win situation. If, if I'm persecuted for the Lord, that's a win-win situation. If I go home to be with the Lord, it's a win-win situation. If I'm let go and God rescues me from it, it's a win-win situation, but it's a lose-lose situation when I hightail and I run, because it's a form of denial. Faith. Standing firm takes faith. Faith is focused not on what you're standing up against, but rather what you're standing for, because you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Standing firm also inspires others. When you see someone that loves the Lord and is passionate about the Lord and is willing to take a stand for the Lord, what does that do to your spirit? It causes you to say, what's wrong with me? Or, I am so inspired by that, that I want to be growing. I want to have that kind of relationship with the Lord. Standing up for what's right and doing the ethical thing in your business. Standing up for Jesus with your kids. Standing up for Jesus wherever you're at. It will inspire others. I have watched people in my lifetime, and I am so inspired by their walk with Christ because they are living a stand-up life in a bow-down world. People will be inspired by your courage and faith in the heat of adversity. Let me give you a general truth. I've been in a lot of houses over my, over the years. I've seen a lot of pictures on walls. I've uh, seen a lot of quotes on walls and homes. And I've seen a lot of verses on walls in various homes. But I'm going to show you a verse in a moment that I've never seen someone needlepoint and put it in a frame and put it on a wall. And that is this. Second Timothy 3.12 says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. I've never seen that needlepointed and put it in a frame and, it, and it'd be on someone's wall in their home. The general truth is, if we're not suffering persecution in some way for our faith, it may mean that we're not living a godly life. Let me close with this John Bunyan. John Bunyan, long ago, was an incredible man who would preach and teach the Word of God centuries ago. People came to John Bunyan, officials came to John Bunyan and said, John, you've got to stop sharing the gospel, you've got to quit. If you don't stop sharing the gospel, we're going to throw you in the jail. And John Bunyan, in so many words, said, bring it on. And they threw him in the jail. And John Bunyan said this, if you let me out of prison today, I will preach again tomorrow by the grace of God. He also bravely told them, if I lie in jail till the moss grows on my eyelids, I will never conceal the truth which God has taught me. John Bunyan one day was in jail. And he decided he was just going to preach to the angels every day. He had the word of God. He opened up the word of God and began to preach. And there was a small window that he could not even look out. It was too high. Barred cell window. Little did he know that every day when he would preach to the angels, people would gather out in the streets by that window to listen to what John Bunyan had to say. And they came to know the Lord by the hundreds. Friends, we have an opportunity to stand for something. This Christmas season, you're going to run into people. You're going to have relatives over. You're going to have people an office party. People that are lost. We've got to stand for something. Or we'll fall for everything. But do it with gentleness and respect. God has a plan this Christmas for you to share. Will you be willing to do that? Will you be willing to live a stand-up life in a bow-down world? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for each person here this morning. Lord, it is hard sometimes to know how we are to act and what we are to do. But all we have to do is to go to your word And to see that you give us the challenge to stand in courage, to stand in faith, that our our courage and our standing up for you inspires others. And Lord, just like Peter and John, Lord, they were not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, as as a church, Mission View Church, we have all of North Canton to be mobilized and to grow, to get out and to share may we do that. May we not be ashamed. May we be courageous. You've got to stand for something or you'll bow to anything. May that be our prayer. May that be our desire as we walk with you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.